0: Ek minute this <laughs> could be a great intro Hi I am Akshay
1: Hi this is Saurabh and you are listening
0: to the Founder Thesis podcast We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country and we want to learn how to build a unicorn
2: Hi, I'm Rohan Mirchandani, co-founder at Drumswood International, the owners of Epigamia.
1: All of us in India are very proud of second generation Indian Americans like Kamala Harris, people who have lived up to the Indian work ethic of struggling and rising high. Our guest today is also a second generation Indian American who has placed a trail of his own. He decided to come back to the motherland to build a startup You may think I'm talking about a tech startup founder here, but today's guest is the founder of one of the toughest businesses in India, an FMCG company. He's introduced hundreds of thousands of Indians to the magic of Greek yogurt. Yes, you guessed it right. Our guest today is Rohan Mirchandani, the founder of Drums Foods, which makes the popular Epigamia Greek yogurt brand. Rohan's conversation with Akshay Dutt is a fascinating insight into how an American navigated the very tough FMCG manufacturing and distribution business in India, and how his hustle and persistence led to the creation of one of the most iconic dairy and plant-based product brands of India.
0: So Rohan, first tell me this, how did the Mirchandani clan end up in the US?
2: My dad came here as as an entrepreneur with literally nothing in his pocket. We spent most of our life in Jersey growing up uh, in New Jersey. So, Uh, so,
0: like, what did your dad do when he came? Like, uh,
2: so he he actually had uh, initially he had a um, a business um, importing um, different types of apparel, so clothing, um, you know, just just a a typical uh, you know trader trading operation, Um, and you know some of the vendors were in India and all over. And then back in the early eighties, he had you know or the eighties, I guess he had he had gone to China. Um, and had started, you know, before everyone started doing it, had started sourcing. And then, you know, and then over time, he, he got really um, uh, good at logistics, logistics and warehousing and transportation, uh, which were all, you know, the supply chain, which are probably the facet of every business, um, sort of intrigued him. And uh, he he got involved and then, you know, built a, a logistics and warehousing business, which, um, you know, gave us a, a, a very decent, you know, upbringing when we grew up. So, uh, came from literally nothing and then created a lot out of himself here.
0: So that must have been a pretty, uh, inspiring role model in terms of the hustle, the, oh, the drive to set oh. up your own business. So th- did you also grow up uh, thinking that you want to set up your own business and, you know, like, was it like dhanda in the blood, so to say?
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting you ask that because for us, um, my uh, um, growing up, you know, one thing that we were taught was the value of hard work. Um, So even from the age of 12 or 13, um, my brother and I used to go and, you know, most most of our friends in the summer would go to the shore or go to the beach and have fun and we would be put to work in the warehouse. (laughs) So, you know, we used to go push things around and, you know, literally, as I used to joke, slave labor. Uh, by, my, by my father, but I think I think it really taught us, you know, what hard work meant, and and you know we started to value and and really appreciate, you know, what what, what that entails. And then I think you know for me, my my brother definitely, my brother always had it in him, and and always has been an entrepreneur, um, and 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 joining my father. I actually had a different, you know, sort of. It was never danda in the blood, but it was okay, you know, want to be a businessman, and you know, in my career, I I. I didn't join the family business. I actually worked outside. You I worked. were the younger one? I'm actually the older one, believe it or not. Oh, you're the older one. I was
0: about to typecast yeah. you as the, the rebel younger. No, son. I was, in fact, it was the other way around. It was the other way around. So, so I, okay. my
2: brother always worked for, for, for the family business. And then over time, my dad, of course, had business partners and it became a, a very professionally run organization, which it continues to be today. And uh, But my brother always sort of worked there and I chose a different path, you know, I, 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 even my summer internships in college, and when I was, um, you know, my first job out of college was, was always, you know, away. But we did try a little stint, um, you know, where my dad said, why don't you come, there's, there's this sort of new uh, division that I'm trying to kind of work on, and I think you'd be good for it. And, you know, I, 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 I tried it, um, you know, the whole thing lasted about six months, I think we all realized that, you know, between father and two sons, we'd kill each other so okay. uh so so now but but to answer your question earlier i think um definitely i mean there's no doubt i mean he's been he's he's more than a mentor i mean he's been everything for me and and even though he's probably disagreed with everything i've done in the beginning um you know i think without his support um and his sort of guidance there's no chance you know I, i'd be where we are today or, or even DrumSud would be where it is today so um support was always there um but of course there was always like are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? You really want to go there and sell dahi? <laughs> those, those questions <laughs> definitely. Came up. And, I, and, I, and I, actually, I actually, you know, it's, it's it's funny because you know you've got a, you know, he's a mentor and he's a, a father and he's a friend and, and you know it's very rare to have that sort of relationship. Um, but what ends up happening is you know you you end up getting challenged and I think you know the devil's advocate uh, views that he pushed probably really helped me, um, definitely helped me in every direction. So. Yes, a lot, of, a lot of what we are today and I am today goes to him, for sure.
0: So uh, there's like a six-year period in uh, after your graduation and before your B school. So uh, you spent like a couple of years at Duff and Phillips, uh, half a year with your dad, and then you went to business school. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. yeah. Hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. okay got it and uh like w- what did you think that you would do after the b school w- like was it to get a better paying job was that the goal or was it that you wanted to have some time to think and figure out and b school was a good way to have that time or like what yeah was absolutely. so
2: i i think i was i was one of those um discovery students you know i think i think so we we have, you know i always say there's three um, and I, I'm in no, no ways a proponent of business school. <laughs> I, I, I always say it's not for everybody, and I, and I very much stand by that. Um, in fact, I've discouraged a lot of people, and their parents have gotten upset with me for discouraging them from going to business school. But I, I still stand by that, not to be a hypocrite because I did it. But I think, you know, the, the sort of three areas, right? So you've got your career switchers who want to come in and, and change their careers, um, you've got the career advancers who want to become MD at the bank or the consulting firm or whatever it is. And they, they need to go through B school for that to get the stamp. And then I think the third is the discovery where you're just trying to figure out, you know, not necessarily change careers, but like what 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 what's next in life, you know, just explore sort of options, as you rightfully said. And I think I stood in that bucket, um, you know, and I, and I that, that was my way. The only thing was right before business school, I had, um, you know, um, I, I don't know, if, I, I had sort of invested in this. Um, ice cream parlor uh, in India, uh, which is how Drum school had actually started, and I'll tell that story, I guess, as well. So right before business school, I had made a trip to India, and this was more of a—it was completely a social trip. It was to, for a, a distant relative's wedding, and uh, and this is where I had met people, and I'll talk about that shortly. But um, and then in business school, um, you know, I, I had never had any intention or any connect to you know sort of be in India or or do business in India. I had never had any exposure. But um, it's it's crazy how things come come back full circle, and this sort of side hobby investment is something I pursued as a career. Thanks, I paid a lot of money to business school to tell me this is the career I should pursue.
0: <laughs> okay, so, so tell me about that first trip to India, and yeah, uh, yeah. that probably wasn't the first trip, I guess. Well, no, it wasn't the first trip. Forward. So
2: we, you know, so my, my, my grandparents lived there in 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 Mumbai, um, and we used to visit, and they used to live with us, so we used to visit every few years, and. You know, typical sort of the NRIs that used to come, and now now I get annoyed when the NRIs come and eat up our traffic in Mumbai, so <laughs> <laughs> and flood and flood the restaurants. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll get back to that life soon after this COVID crisis. But um, such an innocent life, right? Now you think about it, that that, that was. But um, but yeah, so I we used to come back. You know, the typical when when there's a school, you know, school or college break, and even when we were younger, we used to come. But again, it was, you know, more just for a few weeks or, or max, you know, three weeks a month and then, and, then, and then come back. But one of the trips I did take was in, um, you know, right before business school. So I went to B-school from 2010 to 2012. In 2009 or so, I had taken a trip um, and I had, you know, a, a really good dear friend of mine who actually um, was living out in, in um, California. So Bombay, Bombay guy, born and raised in Bombay, and he was living out in California. He had gone to Stanford. And he wanted to come back to India to start something, um, and you know, so and I and I actually had a wedding to attend as well. And this is the time when I had just taken my GMATs. I was going to apply for B school, and I said, you know, I'm going to come out there anyways. Let me spend some time with him and catch up and see what he's up to. And he had he had this idea to do this sort of um, you know tech venture. And without going into too much detail, um, you know, I, I sort of pursued that with him for. We talked about it for a little bit. Uh, I had some calls before I went out to India. Then when I went out to India, I met him. And then I also, of course, like I said, I had to attend a distant relative's wedding. And then during that time, the two of us, during the research for that venture, uh, we met, um, you know, this local chef in India, uh, Chef Ganesh, who was one of my co-founders. And you know, he sort of had this idea to um, do a, a, an ice cream parlor or an ice cream lounge, as we called it. And uh, you know, it was like a great meeting of minds. And me being a big food person, and you know, fashion is food across the board. Anyone you talk to you will tell you. Um, I, we just thought we'd, you know, something fun and cool to invest in. And honestly, I had no, we had no clue what we were doing. Um, and it was, it was no, there was no business plan. There was no unit economics. There was nothing thought through. It was just, you know, it was something that it, it was passion driven. Um, it wasn't a significant amount of money when we started it. It was just a few of us. And we just all, you know, so my, my friend Milap, uh, who I mentioned from Stanford myself, Uday, who was another one of my co-founders and then chef. We all just pitched in some money and, and, and Chef set this thing up and we hired, you know, a local Pizza Hut manager to run it. And um, that was just, a, a, like I said, purely passion driven. And this was, I guess, part of my discovery, what I want to do. And I said, OK, this will be something nice on the side and then I'll go to business school. And that's how that whole thing sort of sort of started. And that's how Drum Food actually came to be.
0: Hmm how much stake did you have at that time? Like how you must have been a very minority stakeholder. Yeah, we weren't,
2: I don't remember the exact numbers, but we were equally distributed at that time. I mean, because everyone had sort of put something and then of course over time, you know, when I decided to put, you know, when I decided to do this full time and put more money behind it for myself and um, whatever I had saved. And then, uh, then of course I, I took on more, a lot more shareholding.
0: Okay. Okay. So how did uh, this, uh, like a hobby investment become your full time gig.
2: Yeah, the, the 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 big shift in life, career shift. Uh, so I, I um, as I mentioned, so you know, we I, I invested in this, and then I I went to B school, and and the idea was to sort of discover what to do next. And one of, and honestly, I I had gone with a very open mind. Um, you know, starting from I, but I, to be very true to that, you know, I I didn't think I was going to start something on my own, but I'd met some very cool people in business school and we talked about potentially, you know, working with them and starting something up, all those, everyone who goes to some business school or even undergrad, I guess, always has that conversation with their buddies. Um, but I, you know, this venture was a little different because it was remote. I was all the way across in, in here and at that time in Philadelphia. And then this was in, in, in India and Mumbai and, and whatnot. And um, I actually came uh, in, in December of 2011. I remember very clearly. So it's going to be, it's almost nine years ago. I had taken a class um, through business school uh, in India. It was called marketing to the Indian consumer. Um, so you know, we had all these modular courses at business school where you could go. To- you had
0: like an exchange program with an Indian school. It basically.
2: wasn't. It wasn't an exchange program. It was like a week-long immersion program. It was more of an immersion. So you would you would come during your break, and you'd get you get, get half a credit for the class. Um, and what you would do, and it was one of our renowned professors, Professor Jagmohan Raju, who teaches marketing. And it was like a, a week-long course, and then they had they had it in different countries, you know, all over uh, Brazil, China. I, I, I took two. I took one in India, one in South Africa, um, and and it's, it's just a great way to sort of go around, meet business leaders, um, you know, and things of that nature. And 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 it's you know, and of course, uh, you know, some of the most amazing guest lectures that came in. And I was always intrigued by by I was not a marketeer by profession. I was a finance guy, but then I was but marketing always was core to my heart. I always loved it. I always enjoyed it. I just didn't understand, understand it. Um, and then when I took this class, uh, you know, we had uh, two amazing guest lecturers. Um, one of them was, was Damodar Mal, who is now the CEO of Reliance Retail, as everyone knows. And the other one was uh, Sripad Natkarni, who used to be the CMO of Coca-Cola India um, and, then, and then started a consulting practice called Marketgate, sold it um, and then started investing in startups and then actually ended up doing it as his own, uh, Investment, uh, his own startup called Mavericks Platforms, um, which has been around for some time, for two three years now. So, uh, and and both these guys sort of talked about the and again, mind you, this is December two thousand eleven when wasn't probably was not the most exciting time to be there. You know, we were at the height of our the the scandals in in, in the central government. There was the uh, you know two G scandal and coal and all that other stuff going on. Um, But I you know I think both of them talked about. The advent of consumerism and what the coming decade would bring or the coming decade would do and then what would happen in the 20 30 40 years to come and sripad especially you know really talked about um you know seeing you know that when you go to a a a store a food store so whether it's a kirana shop or a grocery store and at that time to be honest modern trade hadn't even started yet it was just about to start in 2011 and said you know when when you go to these stores um, you can literally count on your fingers all the companies that own these brands, uh, you know, whatever they are. And and and, you know, said another thing that I remember him very clearly saying is that in the next decade or two, we will see brands that are created that will stand the test of time. And, you know, I think that was sort of the that that was the the eureka or, or as they say, the moment um, that I had in that class. And, you know, and as usual, the class ends and, you know, all the students bombard their guest lecturer. So I got in the queue, um, I got his business card and then, and then I stayed in touch with him. I reached out to him and then I, I don't know, just something struck me. I had that, you know, feeling that there was a calling here, you know, of what he just said. I've got this small ice cream parlor. Sure, we haven't done anything with it and it's not making any money. And all we're really doing is paying rent to the landlord. But that's not the point. The point is that, you know, there's this, there's this opportunity to create a brand. Um, and for me, it just became more about what he said, where, you know, creating a brand or a name that could be around for much longer than you are on planet Earth. Right. And, um, and I think that really, really, you know, spoke to me and, and that, that sort of really drove me. So I stayed in touch with Sripad. Um, he had just started to sell his company to the publicist group, which he did at that time. And he had just invested in a, Another a startup his first startup investment which was uh, Hector Beverages Paper Boat you may have heard of them mm-hmm. yep, so, yep, yep, um, yep. that was his first investment who also in the original so a dear friend now happens to be a Wharton grad as well two years my senior um, and then and then ended up sort of um, you know uh, being in touch I actually went to India again just to meet with him because I, I actually wanted I asked him on a call you know from here from the United States that. Could you help out with this? And honestly, at that point, I was still like 50-50. I knew I wanted to do something with this. I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe I'll get him to help, you know, advise or consult or invest. And I could get, we could do something and we could create something. And it was always the finance hat thinking, right? Oh, we could go and raise some money and hire a CEO and all this other stuff. That was always the initial thought because, you know, it was a side hobby investment. So I had a call with him and he said, look, why don't you come to India and spend some time with me? So I did. And we spent some days together and he said that, look, I'm going to give you, um, I think what you're doing is really exciting. Um, there's there's something massive to be done here. Um, there's an, an amazing opportunity. and uh, But I have, I've got two conditions that I'm willing to work. Because I, I'm not going to be a consultant because my fees are way too expensive. You won't be able to afford them. Uh, but I'll work with you under two conditions. And the first condition was that uh, he would uh, invest in the company and have equity as an angel. It was very clear that if I don't have equity, I'm not interested. And the second was that I had to move Uh, from the U S to India and do this full time. I couldn't just get a job in New York and then do this on the weekends and half in half out. And um, so so I told them, look, I need some time.
0: Let me think this one through. So this was in 2012. uh, One one clarification here. So uh, this was for an ice cream parlor, like a chain of ice cream parlors or for an ice cream brand. No, so the the idea
2: was to so the idea wasn't about ice cream parlors. The idea was to create um, a, f- a, a a fresh FMCG brand that would focus on fresh food, uh, cold chain driven food. So without getting into too much nuances, uh, but the but the, and then the idea was to, to convert this into FMCG. So FMCG was always the play. That was the idea. Um, so convert into, so the idea was to convert it into FMCG and then do a plethora of products. But yes, the initial product line was ice cream. Answer your question. And, um, and, and and we'd always talked about doing other products which I'll get to as well in my story um, and and you know yeah, you know and, and then for for us um, the way the way we looked at it was um, as i mentioned you know this this parlor was was not making any money it was just to be to be candid probably the worst business <laughs> one can get into uh, yeah. you know you're you're, um, you're you're you can work as hard as you want um, but at the end of the day the economics always favor the, the landlord. Um, and, and, and we've seen it. I mean, we haven't seen anyone sort of, unless now with the, you know, the last few years, we had the, the malls come up and do rental revenue shares and you have got these big global brands coming in. But to create that business from scratch um, was a really tough one. I mean, we're still seeing so many, you know, QSR companies struggle uh, to figure that model out. Um, and especially in ice cream when you're, you know, it's, it's a dessert, you know, people don't come for lunch or for, for that matter breakfast to eat ice cream so you have to pay you have to pay rent 24 hours but your sales are only happening at that finite time after you know let's say 9 p.m to midnight so and your, your landlord doesn't care he doesn't he's not i can't tell my landlord boss i'm just going to pay you between nine and midnight you know you divide my rent <laughs> 24 hours, yeah. i have to pay yeah. him for the month um and it was just a you know just a not a not an easy business and you know and i know a lot of people have tried and and, and we, we got into some other areas but anyway lo- long story short it was, a, it was a very tough sort of hole. But, you know, I there was a calling that, that spoke to me. And the calling was FMCG to convert this and, and seeing scale there. And again, now, of course, so you know, when
0: saying... when Shriper told you you had to like move to India, was, was that like a easy decision to convince your family on and uh, not at all. face a pushback? Not, like...
2: not at all. So, I mean, that, that was going to be my next thing. So pushback was was crazy. I mean, I, I so I, I never said yes to them. I said, give me some time. And I spent about six months going back and forth um, between, um, I, I, so I graduated in, in May, 20, May or June 2012, around that time. And I think it was May. And then I spent about six months going back and forth, you know, really sort of seeing, is this an opportunity I want to pursue? Is this something worth doing? Um, and, and just, you know, seeing what it was and then trying to talk to everybody I knew, including my family. And everyone said, you're, you know, you're literally out of your mind. I mean, this is, this is insanity, you know, to go, first of all, you, you just, you know, you went to this, this business school, you got a nice degree, you, you're, and now you want to go and run a small little ice cream parlor, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and that a one that's not making any money, and you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, and you're not a, you're not a, a you know, a food art, you've, you've no, you have no career in food, you've never had anything in food, you've never worked in India in your life, you've never been, in, you, know, you have no idea what entrepreneurship means, so now you want to check the boxes on everything you know so (laughs) normally you see a lot of folks that have some functional expertise and then you know reach out and become entrepreneurs there i had nothing I I, i had zero on everything which i you know continue to in some sense i do i guess but i think one thing that i did have which was always there was passion I mean, it was very clear that this is something that i wanted to pursue and i wanted to pursue it for myself you know i think everyone sort of tries to convince themselves they're doing it for other reasons um you know i think then that my my sort of take to any entrepreneur listening to this or any, you know, soon to be entrepreneur, just remember, it's always for yourself. Uh, it always will be, you know, it's not for anyone else. <laughs> yes. You make your family happy and they'll be proud and all that is there, but remember you're doing it for yourself. And, and, and therefore it's, it's, not just that it's, it's the sacrifices that everyone makes, you know, your family makes um, uh, my wife, of course, uh, I, I didn't mention I was married. Um, so I got married in that journey. Um, and then, and then, you know, just to... Like consider, while you
0: were at Wharton, you got married? I, right, before, right
2: before business school. Right before business school, I got married. And then, um, and then so yes, while I was at Wharton, I, in fact, I was at Wharton and she was studying at NYU, getting her master's. So we were playing sort of different cities. Um, and, and, and then convincing her then to come to India was probably the, that was the the toughest investor I got to invest. <laughs> that, was, you know, that was a tough one. Um, okay. And then of course the story was always, uh, it, it'll be three years and then three years became four years, four years became five years. And then you know that, that kept going, but, but kudos to her because I think without her, this would not have been possible either. Um, and then coming back to what you said, it wasn't just, it was friends, family, um, my father and his friends that just sort of didn't see the nuance here. Like what, what is it that, you know, and, and again, you know, when you say to someone, my business plan is to create a brand, um, it's very hard for anyone to understand or digest. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's what, I guess the harder it is for someone to digest, the more excited one should be about doing it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and, yeah. and that's what sort of led me. So I, I then took me six months and then uh, I guess pretty much everyone's advice, January 2013. So it's now been eight years, eight years ago. I uh, took a one-way ticket and I moved to India.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So you land up in India and there is an ice cream parlor which you are running. So how does that morph into uh, an FMCG company?
2: Yeah. yeah. So I land up in India. There's an ice cream parlor, which is, uh, let's repeat, not making any money. Uh, Unit economics are horrible. I have zero experience in doing any of this. And uh, I think the first thing for me was to really understand um, and spend time on the ground um, as to what what's really happening and for me when I say what's really happening is before we start thinking through the operational side of the business or the operating model, I think the idea is where is this demand going to come from and what is this demand So of course we had very nice fancy macroeconomic papers that I read while I was sitting in business school half a world away. but frankly that's you know it's nice and it's nice to read one of those things and maybe it gives you some convinced, convincing. But that means jack when you come on the ground. <laughs> that means yeah, nothing. You can, get that out, right? you can read all the reports from all the big banks and the consulting firms. And honestly, that means nothing unless you're on the ground trying to figure things out. So my first my first few months, I actually just sat at the ice cream parlor. I, I served ice cream. Uh, and, and I think, you know, um, frankly, till date I would say, you know, a lot of people tell me, Oh, you've got a good insight into the Indian mindset and how, you know, the, the, the consumer thinks. And I say I I I sure I may, but whatever I know today is credited to those few months I spent in that ice cream parlor selling ice cream. Um, you know, literally sitting there scooping, serving, and then having tons and tons of conversations. Just talking to people. Why do you select chocolate? Why did you why do you why did you prefer mango? You you chose chocolate last week, why did you choose mango now? You always have chocolate. Why did you choose vanilla today? Um and and just understanding the different, you know, psyches, right? There's uh, and, you know, and like, like I said, it's one thing to read in the newspaper um, or, or a blog, but it's, it's a whole different thing to, to speak to live consumers in front of you who are actually taking out rupees in their wallet and paying you for it for, for products. And that's where the first nuance that really hit was, um, you know, that, that there was this fundamental shift. And I'm talking about 2013 now um, towards healthier lifestyle eating. I remember even in those few months, I remember some of those those clients that literally used to come in every single night. We had a parlor in, in Bandra. Every single night I found a few, you know, um few months later had stopped coming because they were trying to lead more balanced or, or, or coming a lot less frequently. And that's when I, I realized that there was this sort of fundamental play in more lifestyle based, healthier eating. And and I say healthier very carefully you know, because I think health is, is, is very much defined. Every individual has different needs and everyone individual. And science is proving more and more that health is not a one size fits all type glove. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's really dependent on your body type or your genetics or whatever it is. But I realized that healthier products were something that we're, we were seeing are more and more in demand. And that's really was the first foot, footprint was to come there. And then the second, the second footprint was to, to look at, you know, um, moving and trying to leverage whatever little goodwill we had created with the with the parlors, um, the social media following we had, et cetera, et cetera, and then convert it um, into into an FMCG play, and that was sort of the second footprint. And there was a, a a lot of times during that first, I would say the first three years, but the first year was the toughest, just sort of banging your head against the wall and saying, "What is wrong with you? <laughs> what are you thinking?" <laughs> um, you know, we had a our, our our office was behind a a CNG pump in Kurla on, on LBS Marg in, in Bombay. For those of you who are from Bombay, and it was literally it wasn't even an office. It was we had our kitchen downstairs, you know, thousand square feet where we made ice cream, and above it we had created a mezzanine where anyone above five five feet tall would have to literally duck their head, <laughs> and and only when you were seated could you actually put your head up. Uh, and, and we were there for a very long time, and we were there till 2016. So three years we spent there um, until we raised some money. We, that, that was our office. And you know, a lot of times when, and it's, you know, when things are going well, you're, you're happy and excited, and, and you can live with it. But when things are not going well, you think to yourself, what am I doing here? I mean, I, I have to you know, do squats to get inside my office every day. <laughs> is, that, is that what I want to do you know, for the rest of the three years? But those were fun times now that we look back.
0: Mm-hmm. so you uh, did the manufacturing all in-house like you you didn't like go yes. to a contract yes. manufacturer well in or... the
2: beginning because it was just downstairs uh
0: so in the beginning it was all done in-house and then i actually
2: remember in 2015 um uh when we had uh was it 2015? no it was 2014 actually i think 2000 no no 2015 sorry 2015 uh was the same year we launched at Pegamia. earlier that year we had done a deal with reliance reliance fresh to sell um ice cream and we done a um, um, we done a, like a whole gamification drive with them where we'd gone to all their locations um, across the country, especially in the major cities, and done this game, gamified deal where if consumers bought X Y Z, they would get some off and discounts and stuff like that. And I remember doing that, and we sold out in like two days what we had projected for like a ten day campaign. And I remember that's when we said, "All right, boss, this is not the little leagues anymore. We need to sort of step it up." And that's when we decided to move out of there and, and then start working with a, a co-packer at that point. So the first two years was all in-house, was all done um, ourselves.
0: Uh, when did the uh, packaged ice cream get launched, like as a, a product uh, available on shelves? 2014 was packaged okay. ice cream. And then 15 And was, how did you get it on the shelves?
2: Oh, <laughs> so two things. So one was, um, you know, as I mentioned, we... Uh, uh, you know, we, when I first moved there, we were able to get Shripat to come in as an angel investor, and then we had my professor, one of my friends, professors from NYU, came in, and we got some really interesting folks. Um, and then, and then through them, we were able to get some introductions to some of these modern trade guys. And you know, I, I love telling everyone this story because I, you know, I, I've been advising entrepreneurs now the last few years. We just got royally ripped off by modern trade. I won't take names. Um, but, you know, and I realized I thought we were so excited, oh, they gave us space, but they just wanted us to pay the listing fees. So, you know, we, we paid up, I mean, um, and therefore we could only start a few locations because they wanted listing fees for each location, but whatever little capital we we'd put towards that. And then the other way was the good old fashioned way of going door to door, getting down on our knees and folding our hands and saying, Sab, and uh, I, I personally did that. I, I've gone to many Krana shops. Rahul, my co-founder, um, my other co-founder came later. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I think just, just the resilience of us and, and the team and just literally begging. Um, and, and, and even when we started, I mean, I remember, um, you know, there was Nilam Foodland in Bombay. Uh, uh, there was, um, you know, there was a couple of stores. My home, Super Shopee in Malad. Um, there was another store in Kandivali. I remember these are some of the first stores we started and they thought we were just the craziest bunch of people they've ever seen in their lives.
0: Yeah, they must have been wondering who's this American-sounding guy who's selling ice cream in India.
2: And sitting, and and ice cream. this guy is like, he's, he's lost it when two tubs of ice cream sell. <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was a fun one. I, I remember there was um, my home, Super Shopee, in, in Malad. And I used to go there in the beginning a lot. One of the first parlors that agreed, first places that agreed to keep our ice cream, that itself was a big deal. And and then I I, I remember um, you know on the shelf he had a you know he had a small chiller in the corner. Not even a, it wasn't even a shelf. It was like a small chiller freezer in the corner. And over there he had quality. He had Amul. He had uh, I'll tell you right now quality Amul, have more, and us. These are the four ice creams he had. And you know and I remember him keeping and literally we in that in that chest you must have had I don't know. 70 80 tubs of different brands and we probably had just five tubs kept there so if you think about it you know in five times 200 so even if we sold out in a day which wasn't possible uh it was a thousand rupees of sale right um and 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 for this even though he's a kirana shop you know okay that's nice but it's and he's like this mad fellow is sitting here all day long just (laughs) what is wrong with him he's like a creep (laughs) anyone coming into the shop He's looking at them he's trying to figure out he you know and anytime anyone would walk towards that freezer i would just run up there and jump and start having a conversation so at one point um the guy there was very cool who, the the boy who ran the shop but his boss who was the main owner uh he kind of got annoyed and said uh okay you know like back you know we don't want you here every day like <laughs> you're scaring our customers <laughs> because for me the fact that they were going i just wanted to have conversations i wanted to know why are they why you know do you eat ice cream Hey, this is
0: part them? of your like on-ground research.
2: Absolutely. And, well, at this point, it had it had gone beyond research. It was actually um, trying to validate assumptions at this point. So there were assumptions that we had made based on the research and certain pockets we wanted to place the products. What
0: were those assumptions?
2: So there were different types of stores we had we had placed in, um, and, and there were different stores. So there were different formats. So there was a modern trade format. There was the um, you know, I, like I said, we call it sort of the higher end um, GT, you know, general trade shop, a GT shop, and then a kirana shop. So across the four, um, so for example, in in modern trade, uh, we had, we had put promoters who would sit there and make people sample, um, and and they would sample and they would see, and then they would taste and then they would go away. In Kiranas, it was a little harder to sample because there's not much space to sample. So here, it was more about what kind of visibility we would need and what the message, the core message, should be that would excite the consumers. So this idea of you know uh, freshly freshly made, homemade, Indian made ice cream. Um, yet uh, we also had very innovative flavors. So the idea was that we were doing things that no one else was. We we didn't have the plain chocolate vanilla flavors. We had things like double chocolate therapy, which was like a funky creation. So we were coined by one of the blogs, India's answer to Ben and Jerry's. So there was a lot of assumptions like that we wanted to test um, and, you know, and and sort of look at, and for us, it was just a, 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 a massive dessert experience in an ice cream tub. It wasn't just, you know, a chocolate or vanilla ice cream. And these were things that we wanted to ask people and talk to them about. Um, and then, of course, uh, at that time, there were also a lot of thoughts in our head about how this, you know, one of the thoughts was, do we go into, because a lot of the feedback was people are eating healthier, or at least from a permis- permissibility perspective, thinking they're eating healthier or wanting to eat healthier. And the idea was, do we take ice cream into a healthier iftar, or, you know, as our as our second innings t- taught us was uh, Greek yogurt which took us to the next level. <laughs> and that's where all of this work on the ground is where, where most of these insights ended up coming from and, and then, you know, took us in that direction. So
0: uh, 2015 is when you launched uh, Greek Yogurt, right? right?
2: Correct, in June. That year. So
0: w- what was like your top line by that time? Like the f- year fourteen fifteen, which ended, h- how much did you do?
2: Uh, no, I'm trying to think. We were we were probably at a... At a s- 6 or 7 crore run rate, so
0: maybe 50-60 lakhs a month, I would say. And and this was like largely from metro cities? This was uh, mainly metros. It was I think it was just Bombay, Delhi,
2: Bangalore honestly, at that time. And Bangalore, I think we had just started. So.
0: Okay. Okay. So then uh, how did uh, Greek yogurt come into the picture?
2: So the idea was, there was twofold. One was um, from launching
0: um, FMCG
2: in 2014, uh, we learned that uh, uh, and again, these are your highs and lows. So we had this sort of period in, you know, the, the peak season, which is basically between March and June for ice cream, which is a very seasonal product. Um, you know, we had a great sort of run. It was our first time with FMCG, and we just thought we were kings of the world. Like we, we literally thought we were unstoppable. We'd become invincible. You know, from all the the madness that we had of learning and on how. The bad the, oper- the ice cream parlors were to, um, you know, running those cold chain trucks to the office. Did and you everything.
0: shut down the parlors, or they were. Yeah, At that still point, we still in. had them,
2: uh, but then we shut okay. them down later on. Of course, uh, you know, you're. Okay. And and we saw in that, uh, you know, literally from May June to July August, the sales just got desecrated because, you know, seasonality, especially when monsoon comes in, there's always this fear that you know my throat's going to get spoiled. You know, And. And that's when we um, realized that there was, uh, you know, and, and it was always a, 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 there was always a vision to do more products, it was never going to be a single, single product play. And and one of my favorite products, you know, when I was in college, and, you know, that came actually was born when I was in college, undergrad, was Greek yogurt. And, you know, and Greek yogurt, in some sense, is a, is a you know, isn't the cousin relative space to an ice cream, right? It's sort of dairy and, and Flavors and things like that, um, and one of the things we found was that um, you know this was a, a space that some large guys had sort of attempted, but they just hadn't really figured out the taste and the permissibility angle, how to sort of play it. At least that's what we had felt. Those were our assumptions that we had made. And and the the first that first season when we saw ice cream sales really dip, um, you know we said okay this is something, and we actually spoke to a lot of ice cream brands and companies and spoke to people, and we even found that some of the larger ice cream players. Um, hire folks just during season and then in the off season they let them go you know they have like a, a you know a people they keep on their roles just for that time period and then we said okay that's not i mean how do we do that i mean we're a startup you know what so initially the projection that we wanted to achieve in four or five years was going to we, we could get there but it's going to take us 10 years and on top of that you're trying to build distribution as i mentioned to you going on your knees and begging these guys to put you on the shelves and even if they give you a chance they tell you uh, i'll be knee season mail. Uh, you know and that means that means you have this very finite period of time when you have to build your distribution and do your sales and it was just not very feasible um and and of course you know the the digital sort of e-com disruption that we've seen the last eight nine months was not there back then uh very different different way of building businesses from scratch the old school way um uh, so so the way we sort of went about it was um we looked at a few different products that we wanted to look at and Greek yogurt as I said was always there and my co-founder, Chef, um, you know, he had a good idea. He was he's been trained in sort of gelato making and ice cream making, and he, um, um, you know, there a lot of similarities in terms of the sourcing of ingredients, right? So using really good quality mangoes and strawberries, and then just but but coming up with an innovative process to sort of handmade Greek yogurt, which took him some time. And honestly, when we launched it, you know, and this is this is sort of I think every entrepreneur I think has this story as well. You know, we, we did it with the intent that it would complement the ice cream business. Never in our, in our lives, we have ever thought that this was going to be just go to the next level and scale the way it did and would just over consume us to the extent where we had to sort of let Hokey Pokey go. Um, even though I don't know if you know, we, we actually brought Hokey Pokey back a few weeks ago after years. (laughs) Thanks, thanks to our direct to consumer channel. Um, but that, that, that's where the culmination came from and, uh, And also, I think all the learnings on the ground, the learnings from the ice cream parlors, up until this point, we still had the ice cream parlors. So Epigamia was actually first launched in the ice cream parlors as well. And a lot of it was to those consumers. We actually reached out to those consumers that stopped coming or were coming less frequently because they were leading this, quote unquote, healthier lifestyle. Um, And we started getting them to give us feedback and, and, and see where we took it from there. And then, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you keep throwing darts. And the second dart, we lined up perfectly.
0: So uh, initially, you would have, like, uh, in your parlors, you would have had a tub where you would scoop out and serve it. Like, that was how you started? Uh, with the Greek yogurt? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, so we actually had, it wasn't, it wasn't scooping. We, we had packs. So, you would you know, you open the pack, pour it, and then and then serve it. And in the initial days, we even used to do some parfaits and muesli and things of that nature. But the idea was to just get people to try and, like, it. a lot of sampling happened at the parlors. A lot of sampling.
0: And uh, you also then rolled it out to your uh, FMCG distribution channel. And then then
2: immediately went into FMCG distribution.
0: So, uh, like, uh, how much did that year end at? Like, you did six crores the previous year. So, like, you know, what was the growth you saw because of Epigamia?
2: if i'm not mistaken so don't don't quote me i don't have my audited financials in front of me but uh, <laughs> that's okay like roughly yeah, uh, 20, yeah. 20 crores was the second that year after that so we, we tripled amazing
0: so, so wow that's phenomenal yeah, that
2: was a big, big growth surge there for us i remember that
0: mm-hmm. how did you cope with it like a 3x uh, uh, jump in top line is like it means massive logistics to deliver the product yeah. Yeah, no, it was a it was it was a hair pulling experience. So
2: so one of the, one of the big things that happened during just right before this time period was, um, you know, so Chef will tell you that when I moved to India in January 2013, I, I brainwashed him to join full time. So he joined later that year. Um, and he took script, of took over, and and then Uday was there too when I convinced him to join. And Uday, so Uday sort of took over the compliance and and the legal angles, whereas you know Chef took care of production and operations and R and D, and I took care of all you know sales marketing finance that's how we sort of split the roles and you know more and more we realized that chef had to really just take care of production and r&d nothing else and then operations started coming to me and i realized you know then i mean i 100, 100 there was no such thing as sleep that those two three years there <laughs> i didn't i mean you slept when you could it wasn't like you know there was no um and then you know i i, I started getting really friendly so we had this this um Thai group, you know, the TIE in Mumbai, the, um, you know,
0: there was a food. In this entrepreneur,
2: there was a food committee or a food group that was created with them and, uh, you know, food entrepreneurship. And there was a group that we started calling ourselves the foodpreneurs and, um, you know, got friendly with some of these guys, all sort of starting off their journey at the same time. Um, You know, so um, there was Chef's Basket and Baker's Dozen and Raw Pressery, uh, you know, a whole bunch of all Mumbai-based guys. And one of the other one of the guys was Rahul Jain. who had started Dr. Mu, um, organic milk. And you know, Rahul and I just I guess the first you know one or two times we met, we just really hit it off. We just just you know, sort of uh, love at first sight bromance, as they call it. <laughs> and, uh, and and you know, Rahul came from also from a finance background. He's from Delhi, born and raised, and then had gone to ISP and started this organic milk startup. And very similar issues, right? We would complain and, and cry about the same issues every, you know, every time we'd meet. Um, and, and part of their plan was to go from organic fresh milk into value added dairy products. And, you know, and we would actually run ideas by each other. One day, he told me what, you know, they were thinking was to get into Greek yogurt. And I said, dude, we're doing Greek yogurt as well. I'm just letting you know, you know, very clearly. And, uh, I think it was like the next day or two days later, I just called him up and I was like, literally, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then he joined, so he joined and he became co-founder and, um, that, that actually really helped us go to the next level because it really, it allowed, all, it allowed me to focus and, you know, and his, his sort of experience and expertise is just completely different from mine. I mean, he's, he's much more of a pragmatic, you know, um, uh, operations uh, person whereas I'm more off the charts you know uh, looking I'm always staring up into the sky and I think we balance each other out really well and that's when we that's when so to answer your question that that a lot of the the trifle uh, you know um, threefold growth came that year because of having some structure now to the sort of founding team. Hmm, hmm,
0: hmm, hmm. So Rahul took care of the production like no no he, no no, no. Like... he
2: was he was uh, 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 logistics and operations and sales um, marketing and finance came to me, and then chef, took, chef
0: was already in production. So uh, you started this as like handmade, uh, but uh, like how long before you realized that uh, it could like you know it needed to be done in a plant and like how how did that scale up happen? Like in terms yeah, of so, building your hmm.
2: yeah. So we 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 still do it in a in a sort of handmade format. Um, in some sense, we've 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 done some scale up, and because our our our, our yogurt has zero preservatives, um, is freshly made, um, and, and it has a very low shelf life. It's only fourteen days, and it has, and that too, if it's kept in perfect cold chain, which in the conditions in India are not conducive. Um, so in the beginning, we had a lot of problems because a lot of the kirana shops would turn their fridge off at night. Um, you know, some of the cold chain distributors we used would would also do the same thing. Would not have hygiene and integrity. And, you know, and, and consumers would get really, really upset. Even today, we get complaints every now and then. Um, and but back then it was bad because consumers, you know, they're not going to point fingers at anyone else. They're going to point fingers at you because you're the one who made the product. Um, but over time, I think we realized a couple of things. One is that we had to own our, own our own cold chain. So in a city like Mumbai today, we're probably independent distribution wise. We're probably one of the largest independent distributors uh, just because we built of our, our cold chain. Sorry. Um because we built our own cold chain. Um, we have the same thing in, in the major four or five cities in the country. And we realized we had to do this um, to protect the brand and also to expand the business because no one else was ready to do this. at such a Today, of course, there's a dime a dozen distributors who want our business, but we're not really you know, interested because now we've reached some scale so those margins are healthier with us doing it ourselves. So we, in fact, chose not to produce ourselves, but to distribute ourselves. So we took that. Those are the decisions that we took. Um, and, and, and even now, uh, we haven't gone to some, you know, very industrialized methods of production for Greek yogurt, which are used globally. We still use some indigenous, um, um sort of ways of making it. We naturally strain, um, you know, al- think almost like a hygienic way of using like a cheesecloth and, you know, straining and making uh, a cheese or chaka or hunkard as they do in the North. Um. So we still follow some. Of course, we've you know really taken up the stepped up our game and made it very hygienic and things of that nature. Um, that's still how we make our product, and our product is still very sensitive. So even now, you know, sometimes we, we're very clear with our consumers: if the cup is a little bit of puffed or something, just let us know immediately, and we'll send replacements. Because at some way, somewhere along that cold chain, while the country is getting better and better, um, in fact, we have a huge test for cold chain coming up with the vaccines. So let's see what happens. But um, as the country gets better and better, but we still we're still not there yet.
0: Hmm. so uh, did you also need external funding for this uh, 3x growth
2: that year like in
0: 2015 or like when did you you had an angel round uh initially like in 12 13 so after that like when did you need funding no, so, so that, that number i talked to you about was 16
2: 17 that we did and then 14 sorry 15 16 was i think the six seven and then the the 16 17 was that number and then we raised we raised our Series uh, C Series A in 2016. Okay, okay, so, so just around drove, the time yeah. you launched. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it, we were in the middle of our yeah, we were so we in fact our Epigamia was only a couple of months old when we raised uh, Series A.
0: And uh, how did the Series A happen? Like, who were the investors who backed you in? And- uh, so we had D,
2: DSG Consumer Partners, uh, DSGCP, Deepak Chaudhary, uh,
0: and and Broad Invest.
2: Over invest is a uh, institution. It's a it's a fund out of Belgium.
0: Okay. So, but like, was it a difficult journey to convince people to invest in a like a curd uh, brand or like uh, yeah, I like think, a yogurt?
2: You know, so we we had a we obviously had many conversations the prior year, and and I think you know back when we were raising capital, um, this was not a sector of of you know sort of priority or something that it, you know it was always tech tech tech. Uh, and, and, you know, there wasn't much options, we were sort of restricted. I think the last few years, we've seen a lot of funds, you know, open up and start investing in this space, especially now that the, this, you know, sort of FMCG and tech is also now you know, combined and you don't know what's what anymore. Um, but we were very clearly a digitally third or digitally fourth brand. We were never digitally first. Um, and, and as that sort of uh, took off, I mean, there was only a handful of players that were really you know, participating in this space. Um, and, and we, I mean, it, I, you know, behooved me to tell you that it was an easy journey. It wasn't, but I think the good thing was that because you had specialists like DSG and, and then our, in our angel round, we also had, uh, after the Shripad round we did one more angel round. We had, um, fireside ventures, we participate, um, this is before the, the fund started. We were, I always, we always talk about, we were out of fund zero because fund one came later on it was the fireside trust. And then I think things started moving in motion. So, um, but you had specialists, and I think as long as they understood and, and you had the right access or you had their ear, um, you know, I think Koval and Tepak were the two who continue to be the two best in the game today. Um, and we were blessed to have both of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So, uh, like, uh, how did the growth happen? Like, you did 20 crores from like rough whatever you recall in terms of how it grew from 1617 to this year. Yeah, for
2: those few years, we we. Double the year upon year, um, and then the last sort of, I mean, this COVID year was was obviously a tough one, but we still grew about thirty percent, thirty five percent in this COVID year as well.
0: So uh, I think one major milestone for uh, Epigamia has been the Denon investment. Uh, I mean, I personally thought that was like a game changer. Uh, like, you know, could you tell me about that? How it happened, and uh, do you see it as a game changer?
2: Yeah, I think I think game changer may be a strong word, but uh, I think definitely uh, a surprise or, 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 or a disruption as far as all our mentality was concerned. Um, you know, what was interesting with 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 Danone or Danon, as I called them growing up, um, was that when we launched Greek Yogurt initially in 2015, um, you know, they were sort of the the big enemy. <laughs> they were the competitor. Uh and, and, you know, in fact, you know, we, we actually looked up to them when I say enemy, I, I joke, I kid, because, you know, obviously, they were someone we aspired to to look, sort of look up to and say, this is a company we can learn from. But of course, you know, we want to come in and do something different and disrupt and not do the same old things that everyone's doing. And, you know, on the shelves, whatever it was, I mean, you know, I, I, I kid and I joke, but, you know, we, we literally had a dartboard with the image of Danone and we used to throw darts at it at the office.
0: No, no, not Nestle. <laughs> I, I thought Nestle would be a they, bigger they were target. There too. They were there too. <laughs> Although great, great folks, I mean, even Nestle, amazing people.
2: Um, but, you know, and, and, and it was sort of, uh, you know, so if, if you sort of rewind the time to 2015, 2016, and, you know, you, you tell the 2015, 2016 Rohan or, or Uday or Rahul or, or Chef Ganesh or anyone on the team or Sid, uh, and and you tell them that in, in 2019 or 2020 or for that matter 2021, not only is Denon going to be a, a shareholder, but they're also going to be partners and they're going to be um, you know sort of advisors. We would have all thought you were insane.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: okay. so, you know, so for us to come full circle was was quite crazy. And um, you know, it, it was it was interesting because they um, you know obviously that was the the, the, the sort of You know, view we had of them, and you know, sometimes you know they always say don't don't judge a book by its cover, and I I, and I genuinely believe that, and I think you know uh, that was our case with Danone. You know, I think you know we always looked at them as as the big guys, and we're the small guys, and um, you know, we were introduced to them through one of our investors, and you know, when we were raising our Series C, again, they they were not even in the radar. We we had heard that in New York there was a, a Danone Ventures that had launched. Um, and, you know, they'd sort of uh, set up this, uh, um, you know, corporate venture capital arm. I mean, we we'd heard about it just as you heard about in the news, but there was never any intent or there was any interaction. There was never any um, storyline that they were doing in Asia for that matter. And that too, you know, they were focused more on America and Europe and things of that nature. And we were introduced to them through one of our investors. And I think the idea uh, at the time, we you know, our, we, a lot of our, 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 you know, the investors we already had were very keen on you know, doing series C without going to the outside market. Um, but, you know, it was, we, we thought, okay, let's, you know, talk to one or two that we thought could potentially add value as we keep scaling. So we had one or two conversations and we we're actually in the process of closing out one of those conversations. And I actually, you know, so I was like, as I mentioned, I was introduced to uh, the known ventures guys and, you know, I just said, you know, just for kicks, you know, for giggles, you know, w- w- what's the harm in going in meeting, you know, and that was the internal sort of thesis that, you know, never hurts. And I, I'm one of those people that my door is always open, you know, no matter what, I never close the door. Nothing is, nothing is crazy to me because I think that's the way I've lived my life as well. Um, and so we went in and I, and I met them and, you know, I, I met the, the folks in charge and, and honestly, you know, I was really blown away by their mission. And, you know, their mission was very clear that, look, we are a big company. We are a big sort of behemoth. But we get it. We get it that the disruptors of tomorrow are these younger startups like you. And we sort of have two options. We can continue to try to do stuff and and compete with you in the markets. Or we could sort of, you know, band together and 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 treat this as a, a global sort of ecosystem, which we can plug into and you can and a company like yours can plug into and, you know, we get to sort of be close to what you're doing on the disruptive side. And, and we can help you with Stuff that you probably you know you don't have to be disruptive about everything, you know you 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 can be disruptive about your brand, you can be disruptive about your product, but do you really need to be disruptive about how a truck operates, or do you really need to be disruptive about inventory management, right? Um, so so you know these are things that 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 really spoke to me, and then I realized that you know this here's a company that actually means what they're saying. Um, there was a, there was a larger mission behind um you know what they're trying to do in terms of support and and build sustainability globally. And and you know in fact this division of theirs which was Ben & ventures, is actually a B corporation. I don't know if you're familiar with what a B corporation is actually. No,
0: no, I'm not familiar. It's,
2: it's for profit and it's a it's a it's a certification. It's a global certification. So it's not that it's an NGO of any sorts. Of course it's a for profit, but it requires um, a, a mission you know that that goes beyond just uh, um, you know financial. And you know and it's and it's, you know there are very few companies out there. Ben and Jerry's is one of them uh, that have that sort of uh, B corporation status. And, you know, it spoke volumes to me that this this sort of division of theirs had that sort of certification. And I realized that their mission actually was to build out a larger ecosystem, you know, not just sort of learn what the startups are doing and, and go and do something and replicate it. And I think, you know, in hindsight, your, your gut has to give you everything. I mean, I, I'm an entrepreneur, so a lot goes by my gut. And I think that first meeting, it was, you know, I, as they say, it was sort of love at first sight. <laughs> And uh, so came back and, and I, you know, told the team. I, I obviously talked to the investors. My uh, our investors, who have been our best supporters, were extremely wary. Um, they didn't know if this was the right move. There's a lot of conversation. Does this mean that you know we're, you know, selling to a strategic? Is this a partial exit? And I said, you know, let's let's not think about any of that like that because the structure of this of this Denon Ventures is as a fund. I mean, they're like a, a group within a group. They operate independently, and and they're they have one LP which is Denon. Right, which is giving them their capital, but they're operating like a fund. They have portfolio companies. They're structured just like a VC fund or a private equity fund will be, with a with a very interesting mission. And you know, when you've reached sort of the stage we had, um, you know, to, to get them to help would we saw as as visibility to really take us to the next level um, from a scale perspective. You know, processes, systems, backend, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you know, sitting here sort of two years later after we raised Series C, which they were sort of they they led along with Verlinvest. Um, I I think that was probably the best decision we made at that time. Um, uh,
0: in, in what ways did that collaboration benefit you? Like what, yeah, did, yeah. in addition uh, to the money? Like yeah, yeah, you know?
2: absolutely, and and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'm happy to share that sort of example and you know demonstrate um, you know and it's it's nice it's it's nice when you hear it in words, but what does that mean in, in reality? Right, I think that's your mm-hmm, question, actually. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah,
2: you know. So I'll, I'll tell you what happened is um, you know we were sitting in in Mumbai. Um, at one of our board meetings and there was a discussion around um, as we were scaling our distribution. Now, this is pre-COVID, so let's sort of rewind a little bit, right? So let's not, COVID, of course, we'll talk about as a whole different ballgame. But in pre-COVID, you know, we, we there was a conversation that took place around um, as we were sort of expanding and scaling our distribution. For us to scale our distribution is, you know, going deeper and deeper into GT and Kirana shops, right? And, as we get deeper and deeper into Kirana shops, there's a you know there, there, there's a lot of efficiency that has to be sort of um, garnered because uh, you know the drop sizes get lower. So for example, the larger um, modern trade stores or the larger, more you know, high volume throughput stores, you're dropping off 30, 40, even hundreds of cups at a time every delivery. Now you get to the smaller Kirana shops and you know that guy tells you, you know, I want five or ten, you know. Um, and there you have to be very efficient, you know, how much time you spend at the store, how much, you know, how you efficiently get in there, drop the, take the order, drop the delivery, come back, how you plan your truck, how you plan the operations, how you, when you load the truck, you know, basic sort of uh, supply chain, logistics, hygiene, right? But when you say, yes, basic, but also very, very specific to cold chain, that's uh, our cold chain and to yogurt, right? Uh, and now at that point, we had started with multiple products. So we had yogurt, we had smoothies, we had a whole bunch of things. There's a con, and, and now also mind you, you're you're doing it in an environment where a lot of times the you know dukanwala will turn the fridge off at night, and there's all these other challenges you have, right? So we were you know we were discussing our plan and our, our go-to-market strategy on how we're going to be building out our distribution, and you know one of the guys from Denon Ventures who was there said, you know what we're doing what Epigami is doing right now in Mumbai. Is uh, very similar to what you know our team in Egypt did ten years ago. And we said, oh, really? That's interesting. And you know, and, and they said, well, the the so I, you know said let's talk more. And and so they said, you know, you should talk to them because um, they built their own distribution. It's uh, Egypt is even more a kirana shop market than, than India is. All about you know the, the global word for kirana is mom and pop shop, right? That's how we sort of refer to that. And you know, there is no modern trade. They're very restricted modern trade, and it's very similar. Very hot country in cairo it's very warm um very disorganized trade uh the, and, and they joked they said not only do they shut off the refrigerator at night, they actually turn off the electricity because they want to save on all costs and you know so so we said okay you know we'll be great maybe there's something here to learn from so we got on the call we were connected with the team in egypt we got on a call with the ceo there and we had a, a, a chat with him and you know we said hey listen these are some questions we had and you know without going into too much detail but you know go to market and route to market and how do you sort of plan and how do you do the how do you do the supply chain and you know what their answer was their answer was look be happy to tell you but why don't you just come here and see it for yourself you know um and uh, and this is you know and, and they have a pretty sizable operation there they've built it from scratch they've, it's it's a 15 20 year old operation And we were like, really? And they said, yeah, you know, why don't you come? So the four or five of us, myself included, of course, we all, you know, went a day early to go see the pyramids (laughs) that we we couldn't Uh, see. And it helped that Egypt has a nonstop flight from Mumbai. Um, So we went. And uh, not only were they welcoming and receptive, they let us sit on the trucks with them. We went to the market with them. We went to see their manufacturing. We saw how they loaded the truck. And I'm not saying that this is not something we couldn't have done. I think over the course of time we would have learned how to do it, but we probably saved a good year, year and a half, just by watching how to do it and then implementing it in our backend. So, you know, I think that serves as a great example of, of the collaboration, you know, that they've sort of. Uh, it's not just the, them being there, and I mean, they really meant it when they said we're going to let you plug into the ecosystem. And uh, and I think I think that just helps us focus on what we're good at, and and you know, helps continuing. And now, of course, there's a lot of other conversations, you know. Um, well, of course, there's a lot of stuff they cannot disclose, which is because we are two independent companies, but wherever they feel it's, it's okay and it warrants, you know, some form of collaboration, they're, they've been more than happy to sort of support and, and, and push for it.
0: Hmm. Okay. okay. So are you looking at going global and, you know, kind of piggybacking on their global presence?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, that, that's every entrepreneur's dream. Um, I think, uh, you know, had you asked me this question even six or seven months ago, I would have said um you know we're, we're, it's in the cards and it continues to be in the cards but i think um you know we we believe that you know the, the made in india stamp is going to get more and more potent and powerful as things go forward i mean we're seeing now the world is seeing now that you know made in india can equate the quality of done the right way um, um of course we believed it for a very long time so at least you know neighboring markets um you know in the next sort of 8 to 12 months um we we will start exploring but it won't be a focus for us. I think right now, we're still very determined. We have a lot to do in India. I mean, we're just, we are just just touched the iceberg. I think those will be more opportunistic, you know, expansions. But yes, a few years from now, you know, certainly that, that'll be a play for us.
0: So what's going to be your focus? Is it going to be like to go down into tier two, tier three or expand product range or like, you know, what what, what is it that you're going to focus on to grow the brand and the revenue?
2: Yeah. So for us, it's, it's two very clear cut strategies, right? It, it's, the, the, you know, com- continue sort of disrupting the product portfolio, continue launching new and new products, um, you know, all the way from sort of premium. And now we're looking at more sort of accessible value products that are in the 20 to 25 rupee, potentially even next year, a 15 rupee price point. Uh, when I say accessible, I don't mean compromise on quality, supremely high quality products, but, you know, giving a little bit more accessibility and, and generating trials so people can start moving their way up to a 30 and a 40 rupee product eventually. Um, And that's something that we're very focused on. And then secondly, just continue to to expand distribution. I mean, today, if you look at where our market sort of sizes in India, we're looking at, you know, we're not looking at a billion people, right? That's not who we're speaking to. We're speaking to about 60 to 80 million people in the country. Um, That's who we see, sort of the, the middle class and the upper middle class. And if you look at our penetration, we're not even 2 million people today. So you know, we have we have a, a very, very long way to go. So, you know, 30X is in the cards for us, um, and hopefully we can get there much faster sooner than later.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. So uh, my last question to you, uh, how is working in India and doing business in India different from uh, the way things happen in the U.S.? Like, you know, what are some of the quirks that you saw or... Uh, the unique challenges or unique opportunities that you experienced. Yeah,
2: without without having any of my friends and my family and my coworkers yell and scream for these comments or <laughs> <we're> getting tormented. <laughs> <right? laughs> uh, no, look, I think I think you know. There's this, sort and
0: of... I, I don't want a politically correct answer. I <laughs> want like a frank, frank, honest opinion. Uh, I mean, we we all know who we are, what our it's, shortcomings yeah. are. You know, I, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think there are too many Modi bhaks who listen to my podcast. So
2: okay. <laughs> no, I think I think without 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 being trolled, I think. Look, I think I think you know, um, I, I will give you the political answer as well, but let me give you the honest, cold, honest truth first. I think the reality is that um, you know, coming from this environment, um, you know, we're coming from sort of the the American environment. I mean, there was definitely. A certain level of, of you know sort of timeliness. I think I don't want to use the word professionalism because I see there's a lot of professionalism and I and I'm I'm very proud of the, the organization we have and how we operate. But I think there was just a certain you know value for time or timeliness that, that is associated. And I come from New York City, where you know you know traffic is is worse than Bombay. So you know when when meetings are not happening and it's being blamed on traffic, I don't buy it because you know New York is um you know and and when when someone's telling you they're going to come on monday and they don't even show up or or, you know give you a phone call um and then they come on tuesday and i think you know and and i'd also have to say you know even when we were sort of building the business early on just sort of being dismissed um you know that oh where is this company going to go and you know some of the sort of more traditional business vendors i won't take names but You know, just not even entertaining our conversations because and then, you know, and I'm not saying that they should have. I mean, you know, I think a a discussion would have been warranted, at least hear us out. Um, But now that we're of volume and size, now they're willing to give us any discounted price we want. And, And I'm not saying that's a difference between, you know, you know, maybe the Western world or India, but I think it would have just been, you know, maybe the decision making would have been similar. They wouldn't have taken us on then, but taken us on later. But, you know, I think a conversation would have been warranted or merited. So I think a lot of that um, takes place. Of course, you know, you, you deal with the the infrastructural issues. But, but you know, Akshay, that being said, um, you know, I think one of the things that sort of helped us, and, I, and again, and I'm not trying to make this a political answer, but I think I sort of, because of some of the exposure I had to India, visiting India a few times, and because of all the, some of the stuff I told you earlier, you know, being sort of advised by family, friends, that you're out of your mind, you're crazy for going there, I think the bar was already so low for me (laughs) that I had, I came with zero preconceived notions. You know, so when I came, I anticipated that there's no such thing as having a plan A and a plan B. You better buddy have a plan C, D and an E, right? Um, This is not a plan A plan B country. Um, You know, there better be C, D and E and you better be ready for all of those. And I think to be honest, sort of, maybe there's a sense of naivety that was in there when things went a certain way. I, I wouldn't get surprised. I wouldn't complain. Um, you know, when Internet stopped working in the middle of, 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 a, of a, a conference call or an email, I wouldn't you know, blow my lid. Um, I just treat it as, as, as normal practice. Now, that being said, things have changed insanely in the last six, seven years. I mean, just the speed we have is, is obscene you know, of Internet or whatever it is. But I think that sort of helped a little bit. I would say I think for me it became an asset because I wouldn't let those things bog me down. You know, and I and I and I, again, I'm, I'm not you know brutally honest here. I've got a lot of friends and peers and people I know that came from the United States, um, from other countries outside of India, and came with these preconceived notions, and and then you know sort of blame that as a reason why their ventures didn't take off. And I think, you know, frankly, that's that's hogwash. You know, those are not reasons why your venture doesn't take off because the internet doesn't work or because people are stuck in traffic. Give me a break. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. So I think, you know, or, or because someone didn't take a meeting, so, you know, go back 15 times, you know, you know try the guy to, you know, fry the guy to death to take the meeting. I think these are things that you have to sort of do. And so I think, I think that, so yes, I think what was maybe sort of, uh, going into it saying, okay, this is a liability. I think it ended up being a, an asset for me because I didn't see it in that way.
0: Hmm, hmm, that hmm. Makes sense. Wow, Amazing. Cool. So, um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, any last words to people who are aspiring to build their own brands? Yeah,
2: I mean, my, my advice always is, if you if you're on the fence, uh, don't do it. <laughs> uh, you know, I you have to be all in or all out. I, there's nothing in between. Um, yes, you may need some time to build a plan and do stuff and you know get yourself financially ready, but you know six eight months is, is good enough. Uh, post that. If you're not ready to take it on, you're never going to be ready. Don't don't waste your time. Don't don't do disservice to your uh, your own self, to your potential venture, or to your current employer. It's just not worth it.
1: So if that conversation left you craving for some Greek yogurt, then check out the exciting flavors of Epigamia that are available for home delivery on epigamia.com, amazon.in, or the Big Basket app. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit podium.in that is t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-n dot i-n for a complete list of all our shows.